it's, it's fabulous to be back with you this morning. And if you've been coming along for the past couple of uh, weeks or so, you'll know we're in the middle of preaching through a series on the kings of Israel and Judah. Um, but don't worry if you're here for the first time today. Um, welcome. It, it won't matter if you haven't heard the rest of the sermons. Today's sermon will make sense in and of itself. Um, and today I'm going to be taking us on a journey uh, through the history books to look at the life and impact of King Josiah. Now, it's going to be a little bit, of, little bit more of a history lesson than is usually my style, um, with some application points along the way. But my hope is that you can easily follow along, um, that it's memorable. And I've been praying that the Holy Spirit is going to stir up um, in those of you whatever he wishes to speak into your hearts today, and maybe in particular those of you who work with children. And I'm so glad that the kids looked at the parable of the sower today because I'd like for us to consider this morning the purpose of the seeds that were sown under King Josiah's rule. Something I hadn't really considered until I looked at the sequential order of the timeline of the Old Testament scriptures uh, because the Bible very confusingly, isn't written in sequential order. Um, But looking at it like that right up until the birth of Jesus really taught me a lot about the influence that King Josiah had. And do we have any visual learners in the room here this morning? Great, because I've got a diagram. Amen for diagrams. (laughs) So as we pop one of um, the the timeline of the Old Testament scripture up on the screen, I feel like this would give us a really helpful visual snapshot um, of where we are in biblical history as I share today because understanding this timeline makes a difference to the point I'd like to drive home today and that is the importance of cultivating faith in the next generation. So here's the quick history lesson to bring you up to where Josiah fits into the picture. Josiah was one of the kings of Judah. So we've got... um, Israel, what we call the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. So there was the split after King Solomon. He had one of his uh, nasty sons um, and was challenged by one of his servants. Um, And so 10 of the tribes went up and followed one of his servants into the north. And the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin became the southern kingdom. So Judah is... Uh, one of the ki- uh, sorry, Josiah was one of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Josiah is the great-grandson of Hezekiah, who trusted in the Lord God. But Josiah never met his great-grandfather, unfortunately. He didn't know of the great, um, the great legacy that he left, because his grandfather Manasseh reigned for about 55 years and died when Josiah was six years old. So he would have only known his grandfather's rule and his grandfather Manasseh worshipped idols and other gods and you'll hear more about him from Matt next week. Um, Now, after Manasseh died, Josiah's father um, reigned for only two years. He was assassinated and then Josiah became king at just eight years old. So... Uh, we're, we're starting if you, where the uh, point sort of curves at the end of the southern kingdom, it curves into exile where it says 
Uh, exile happened in 597 BC. This story takes place in about 640 BC, so about 50 years before the exile. Um, and the story of King Josiah can be found in both 2 Kings 22 and 23 and 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. And today we're going to start by reading 2 Chronicles. So here we are in the timeline. This is where we are. Does that, is that, does that help people? Fabulous. All right. So 2 Chronicles 34 verses 1 to 3 says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And in the eighth year of his reign, when he was just 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the, the God of his father David. Now, scripture doesn't actually tell us why he began to follow God because he wouldn't have had that example in his life thus far. But something, something, either someone in his life or the Spirit of God prompted his heart and he turned towards God. In his 12th year, when he was 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Asherah was a fertility goddess of the day. So Josiah tore down the idols of his generation, everything that the people who had come before him had replaced um, God with. Then in verse 8 it says, In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, when he was 26 years old, to purify the land and the temple, he sent, to paraphrase, to paraphrase here, two of his mate's sons to repair the temple of the Lord God. And further on in verse 14 it says, While they were bringing out the money that they had been taken, that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. So we're talking about the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. Later on in verses 19 to 30, it says, When the king heard the words of the Lord, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah and a few others. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because of those who, is, who have gone before us and not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Here we see Josiah is distressed by the consequences for his people because of the lack of obedience to God by the generations who had gone before him. Furthermore, Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokhath, the son of Hashra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burnt incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Now that's not good news, is it? <laughs> 
Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you have heard. Because, of, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live there, live here. Now, I'm not sure if that's what Josiah was uh, hoping to hear. Um, here he is distressed and tearing his robes and the Lord doesn't say, thank you for, um, for crying out to me, I will save your people. Instead, he says, it's okay, you won't see any of the disaster. I'm going to take you home. <laughs> but they took her answer back to the king and Josiah called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people um, of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites. And his response was to get all the people from the greatest to the least to come together. All the people. He read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. So here we see Josiah still, despite the Lord's response, is cultivating faith. He is sowing the seeds of God's word. And I, I sat and I sat in the scripture and praying through this and thinking about this, saying, God, who would this have influenced? Who would this have influenced most powerfully? Well, I believe there's a clue for us in the words Josiah would have read out from Deuteronomy to his people. In Deuteronomy 4, verses 9 to 10, it says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. So, how can we here today partner with God in sowing seeds? Well, church, my encouragement to us today is that we need to cultivate faith in our children. And that's a collective responsibility, whether you've got your own kids or not. And I, I know of various stories within this room where there's been heartbreak for people that haven't been able to have their own children. But you know what? It takes a village. I don't yet have my own children, but I love seeing the children that come here on a Sunday. And I know that I also have that responsibility as each and every one of us do, no matter what your story or your time of life. Maybe you've passed the stage of having young children around. Um, so I encourage you to see, please see this message as the next generation, whoever that is for you, because we all need spiritual mums and dads. And um, 
If you're sitting here for the first time today, I want to encourage you that we are a family here and you are welcome to be part of that family and we look forward to sitting with you in God's word as well. You see, Deuteronomy emphasises the responsibility of adults, not necessarily parents, but adults to pass down their experiences with God and the knowledge that they have gained from him to children to cultivate their faith, just like we did here this morning. And this is exactly what Josiah did here in this story. And my prayer for us today is that we will not be like the generations that have gone before us that have seen children as little, not in stature, because I'm not much taller than them myself, but of importance. not as little in importance, uh, that we don't see them as, as a bother. And I must admit, I have been guilty of this myself in my young adult days. Um, I went to a church where there was a family's pastor at the end of every year. It was like a big Christmas concert celebration. And um, all the parents and grandparents would come along and they'd see the kids all lined up on the stage and Um, I certainly, now that I have a nephew, I get to be excited about seeing him on stage and performing and things like that uh, in the future. And, um, but shamefully, when I was a young adult, I used to drive home from that service thinking, I wish I had have known that was today. I could have had a sleep in. (laughs) But shame on me, hey, because I didn't see the eternal value. Because that would have been... 15, 20 years ago, and now some of those young people are the youth leaders leading more young people at that same church. And maybe that was because they felt needed and known at a young age. For those of you who know part of my story, I moved to London in 2015, um, where I spent the next four years, and the job that I'd secured uh, before moving there fell through three weeks after I arrived. Um, So I took any job that I could get just to pay the bills. Um, And I remember I genuinely prayed that God would place me where I would have most influence for him. And as I may have shared before, if you've heard the story, I got a job being the nanny for the kids of the private secretary for Prince Harry, um, Ed and his wife, Sonia. And already in my 30s and a qualified social worker, nannying wasn't exactly the highest on my list of priorities of my dream jobs, but I must admit to you quite embarrassingly that for a very short time, it was only momentarily, but my head began to grow and slightly freak out upon the thought of what plans God might possibly have about placing a single Christian who happened to be the same age as the, at the time, unmarried prince within the private quarters of Kensington Palace. (laughs) Where at the time, no one was whispering the name Megan. But thankfully, logic prevailed pretty quickly. And I realised that actually it was in the hearts of the children, specifically little Isla, that God wanted me to influence most and not the monarchy. (laughs) I asked her parents if it would be okay if I prayed with the kids when I put them to bed. And to my surprise, they said yes. They said, we really appreciate that there's someone in their life that is sowing Christian values into their kids. These are people that did not go to church. 
Um, and of course, I saw it as sowing the spirit of God rather than Christian values. And I used to teach them the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible Fantastic. We're getting, we're getting them to sing this morning, Fiona. Great. So one night, Isla asked me, where is Jesus? She was about three years old. And I thought, oh, if I say he's everywhere, that might be a little bit of a hard concept for a toddler to understand if they can't visibly see him. So I said, well, Isla, he's in heaven, but he's also in our hearts. And so the next day, Sonia said she was driving to school and um, Isla asked her, Mum, Mummy, she said, Mummy, do you know where God lives? And she said, well, Isla, you might have to ask Georgia that one, um, but I believe that he's in heaven. And Isla answered her and said, yes, Mummy, but Jesus is also in my heart. <laughs> and my heart just swelled with... Um, with gratitude for the influence that God had given me when she told me that story. Now, I was only one when I first met Isla, and I was five, uh, sorry, I was one. She was one, (laughs) and she was five when I moved back to, to Australia. And when I think about her future, I imagine it will be one of very high social standing. But I pray that in years to come, in her moments of questioning the meaning of life, and when times get hard, that she remembers the Jesus song that she used to ask for and the love that she felt when that Australian nanny was doing life with them, cultivating faith in her spirited little heart. It's not hard to think about um, the future of our children with some anxiety. And maybe uh, teenagers, you felt that anxiety yourself Are there any in the room? They might be out helping with the kids. How great is that? They're sowing their seeds too. Um, There are many external voices vying for their attention. And just like there were many temptations and distractions from God in Josiah's day. The generation of kids in school today have such a breadth of knowledge. Just ask Google, right? Or Siri or Alexa. And I could go on. There's more information available than ever before and more stimulus than we ever had, but it's causing a lack of depth. We have no idea of the voices that really are shaping them. When I was growing up, my parents knew who was shaping me pretty much by where they were sending me to school, the the friends that I spent time with, the books I was reading, and at a stretch, maybe the music I was listening to on the radio. My TV viewing was limited by influence. The Simpsons were a no-no. But Tim the tool man, he he got the cut. He was a family man that made mistakes, but he always asked for forgiveness. But let's face it, these days, we don't know what our kids are looking at online, uh, who they're watching on TikTok, who they're following on Instagram, who they're talking to through their console playing with external players. Unlike the good old days, we can't physically see or contain all the stones and the thorns that are growing up within the good soil. And I don't say this to overwhelm us, but I say it to emphasise that God's voice and his word must be so much louder. And it's our responsibility to make sure that the seeds of faith 
planted within our young people can grow far beyond the weeds to flourish and usher in God's kingdom. I want to go back now to 2 Chronicles 34 verses 19 to 31. Sorry, 31 to 33, finish off where we were before. King Josiah stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors." My question is, did Josiah's revival ward off the coming exile of Judah? No. And I was always confused by this at the end of the story until I looked back at that timeline and understood where we were in history. We find this, um, we read further in chapter 36 of Chronicles 2, in verse 7 to 17 to 20, God brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. I wonder if you can recall which other book we hear um, about Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword And they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So despite Josiah's efforts, Judah was exiled anyway. And I always find this so hard. What then, God, I asked, was the significance of Josiah's season? Was there any good from his reform other than momentary peace? Did it truly influence the hearts people's hearts back towards God? Did the seeds of faith he was sowing fall on good soil? And if we look at that diagram once again, the southern kingdom didn't end there like uh, the northern kingdom fell. There was a remnant that was carried to Babylon and they returned from exile And we see the people of God exist right through until Jesus. Actually, Josiah's faith planted that seed that saved God's people. The seeds he sowed sprung into a faithful remnant. He just never saw it. And it was under Josiah's leadership that rose a godly generation of young people in whose hearts the seed of faith was firmly planted. And we know this because of Daniel.
So let's go to, uh, I'll read quickly from Daniel chapter one. This won't be on your screen. But in the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, who was Josiah's son, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, as we've just read. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, and put in the treasure his house of God. The house, sorry, put in the treasure house of his God. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Among this generation, listening to Josiah's reforms, watching the idols being smashed and the temple being rebuilt and hearing the word of God read out as the way and the truth and the life were Daniel and his friends. Daniel was a child of Josiah's revival. He was born when Josiah was about 20, the year it was recorded that Josiah started desecrating the false idols and the lands. And he would have been a boy as the temple was repaired and grew up with the word being read over his generation as the covenant was reestablished. So when Daniel is taken captive at 23, he takes the faith of Josiah with him. And it tells us later in chapter one that Daniel stands against um, the king that wants to shower upon him their food and wine and he says, I will not defile myself and God gives him favour. He stood strong against their ways and we read more about that, uh, the faith of his friends in Daniel chapter three when Nebuchadnezzar made an image um, of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he, Herod, the herald loudly proclaimed in verse four, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyther, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a, a blazing furnace. And we know, of course, that these three men did not do that. So if we, if we skip along to uh, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, which are pretty brave words to say to a king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the images of gold that you have set up. Well, as we know, he threw them into the fiery furnace and he stood in amazement as he asked, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, yes, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like one of the sons of God. So Nebuchadnezzar approached them and they came out. And we read in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, 
who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God other than their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. As I come into land, it was in exile that the seeds of faith planted in Daniel's generation by Josiah would spring to life and give birth to a faithful remnant that would go on to build a strong faith community in Babylon, free from idolatry, and these are the Jews who once Siri, uh, Cyrus, almost said Sirius, Cyrus overthrows Babylon, allows to return to Jerusalem decades later to rebuild the temple and the city that had been destroyed because of the sins of their fathers. It was Daniel's generation that made a way for the Esthers and the Ezras and the Nehemiahs to be used for God's kingdom. And God's people survive until the coming of Jesus, as we saw in that diagram. And after that point in time, they scatter all over the world. As we often sing, and the church of Christ was born, then the spirit lit the flame that this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not faint. So in a season where Josiah must have felt so much despair, God's purpose was just for Josiah was to plant seeds to lead the way. And I'm going to invite the music team back up as I finish off here. We as the church today have been entrusted with generations that will be fruitful for God's kingdom if we play our part. And here at One Hope, I believe we've been given an incredible patch of soil to tend to. And we will all tend to it in our different ways. But my question to us today, to you today, is how are you scattering the seeds of God's Word? If you're here today and you're a youth leader, there are a few scattered around. This is what God is calling you to do. Just as Josiah did in his time, bringing God back to, uh, bringing God's people back to His Word, you so are entrusted with bringing teenagers into His truth. You might be a teacher sitting here today, and you've been entrusted to be an example to the young children that you love upon. Not only calling them out in word, but living before them in deeds. You are making known to them His faithfulness of God when you live lives according to His will. And parents, are you sowing into your children? Are you living lives that are an example to them in a life that honours God? And for everyone else in between, no matter how old you are, I ask, how are you sowing into the generation below you? because Josiah didn't do things on his own. We don't know who influenced Josiah's heart towards God, but I'm sure he must have had people championing him on. And it's up to us to write history, to write the future. Cultivate faith in our children and sow the seeds of His Word. 
Maybe you're disheartened by the culture you see in the world today, but I want to remind us that the Bible tells us that the greatest days are yet to come. The greatest days are yet to come. But we must invest well into our young people if we wanna see them speak into today's culture and transform it for Jesus' Name. So I'm praying this morning that God wants to speak into the hearts of those He's calling to influence young people. Maybe you're feeling a call towards children's ministry. It's definitely a need at this campus. Um, It might be a teaching job. It might be that you've just become a grandma. You too are called to be His vessels of good and glorious works to usher in His heart to this world. So I ask you all to stand. And I'm gonna pray for us. If you feel like your heart has been specifically stirred up today, um, I invite you to come down the front during worship as we sing about God having the victory. God caused His people to survive and prosper and that's why we're here today. And we have Jesus to thank for that. So if your heart was stirred up today, please feel to come out the front. We would have people that would love to pray for you. Father God, we ask that You strengthen us by Your Spirit, Lord God. And we ask that You encourage us and help us and equip us to stir up the hearts of these young people in Your Name, Lord Jesus. Give them, Lord, the favour of Your heart. Um, Give them favour and influence for what You have called them to be. We pray over our young people. Lord God, I pray that You will stir us up and equip us. As as we are stirred, we step out for Your love, Lord God. We step out to take Your Word out into this world that desperately needs to be transformed by You. So I pray that You will be with every single one of us this week as we go out and be an influence in this world for Your Name. I pray for opportunities to speak into the lives of those around us and the lives of the younger generation. May they become young people on fire for Your heart, Lord God. And we commit today to continue to standing with them and praying over them and doing life with them so that they may be the Daniels of the future. In Jesus' Name.